Oh, Father, that's quite a question we ask in this hymn. How can the seasons of a planet mindlessly spinning round its sun with just a human name and number say that some new thing has begun? And that's what we're saying on this planet these days. The new year is here. What does this year mean for us? What is the prayer we as a community of faith might pray this year? Let today's teaching be crystal clear, clear enough for us to act. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I went out running on the morning of New Year's Day, just a few days ago. Ran past a little Pentecostal church by the side of the road. Marquee in front of the church said, Honk if you love Jesus. I've seen that a thousand places. I've seen that on bumper stickers. I've seen it everywhere. But this is a two-line marquee. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> I thought, that's pretty good. That is very good. Well, I love Jesus, and I want to meet him, but I don't want to meet him that way in this new year. I want to meet the Jesus who's coming soon, don't you? Yeah, that's the Jesus I want to meet. There's a prayer whose time has more than come. A prayer I have a feeling we will be earnestly praying before Jesus comes. It's a, it, it's a one-line prayer that's actually a promise and a plea, but... A promise and a plea from God we need to hear this new year. So without further ado, let's go to that prayer. Open your Bible, please, to the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You didn't bring your Bible, you'll want to read this prayer for yourself. Grab the pew Bible in front of you, it'll be page 300. And while you're finding it there, nice round number for the new year, page 300. Let's put the title slide up because we have those of you who are joining us live streaming around the world. We're delighted to have you. By the way, glad you're here. No study guide today. We're still on holiday. Begin a brand new mini-series next Sabbath. Don't miss it. We'll all be here together next Sabbath. The title of this uh, teaching today, A New Year Prayer, Heal Our Land. Where does it come from? Well, let's go to, let's, let's find out. Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm in the New King James Version. Whatever translation you brought today is fine by me. Thank you for bringing it. All right. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, let's get a little context for the prayer. Verse 1, when Solomon had finished praying, oh my, this is the majestic, resplendent inaugural worship service in what would turn out to be one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Solomon's newly minted temple in Jerusalem. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, shoom, down from heaven, and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Verse 2, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Verse 3, and when all the children of Israel, for as far as the eye can see, the worshipers have come today. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. I tell you what, we gather in this house Sabbath after Sabbath. What if one Sabbath, in all of his physical glory, God reveals himself? We would never worship the same on these precincts, in these precincts. I predict. That night, 
God and the young monarch meet. Drop down to verse 12. Here comes it. Here it comes. Verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And he said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Verse 13. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Verse 14. If, oh, you know this, some of you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Quid pro quo. That's Latin. Quid pro quo, this for that. If you do this, I'll do that. That's what God is saying. If my people who are called by my name kind of a big deal to be called by somebody's name a lot of the time i mean children get to get to carry through life the surname of their daddy isn't that right in most cultures their wives who choose to go through life carrying the surname of their husband not all wives not all cultures i understand there are some people who carry the name of their god wherever they go and if your god is the lord jesus christ they call you a christian it's a big deal to be called by somebody's name. God says, if my people who are called by my name will take these four actions, four actions, quid pro quo, if you do the four, then I'll respond. Read it again, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There's the promise that is the premise for this prayer. Heal our land. But right here we need to insert a caveat. And this is a very important caveat. The words we have just read, please, please remember. They're words spoken by God to a young Israelite monarch. Because you see, what's happening here is, you know this word, it's a theocracy. You know what a theocracy is, don't you? A theocracy. Form of government. Only once as far as I know in history. You could correct me afterwards, but only once as far as I know. A theocracy, a form of government in which the creator God personally serves as the supreme ruler and ultimate leader of the entire nation. Of course, they're kings. But the kings serve as, as vice regents under the God of Israel. Thus you have theos, the Greek for God. It's from the Greek word, which means to rule. God rule. So that if uh, Abraham Lincoln were trying to describe a theocracy, he would have written, it's a government of God, by God. What's the other one? For God. That's a theocracy. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. There's a little bit of confusion in some evangelical circles, but make no mistake about it. America is not a theocracy. Amen. We are not a theocracy. By the way, neither is modern Israel. We are a democracy. Demos, people, crossing to rule. We are people rule. We're a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Listen carefully. We are a secular state with a secular constitution that preserves the rights of its citizens to both believe or not believe in God. What we have just read 
We need to have this clear. What we have just read is a conversation between God and a young Israelite monarch in a theocracy. This is not God having a conversation with President Obama about America. This is only for a theocracy. What are you saying, Dwight? Are you saying that somehow suggesting America doesn't need prayer? Not at all. In fact, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, two divine calls to pray. Keep your finger, stay right in first, uh, 2 Chronicles 14, but here, here's Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7, God speaking. Exiles, the, the, the Jews have been sent into exile in Babylon. God's command to them, seek the peace of the city. That would be Babylon. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Wherever your homeland is, and we have almost 100 nations here at Andrews University, whatever land you call home, pray for that land. Seek its peace, because if your land has peace, you will have peace. That call from God in the Old Testament is matched by this one from God in the New Testament through the Apostle Paul. You remember these words, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, God speaking, uh, Paul rather speaking, I exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men and women. Pray for everybody. Paul says, he goes on, for kings. Oh, please, pray for kings. And for all who are in authority, that we may lead a life of quiet, and, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. What's the big deal, Paul? Oh, he goes on, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men and women all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul's very clear. We need to be praying for the kings and all who are in authority, which would include our president and this Congress, God bless them, fiscal cliff notwithstanding, pray for them. Or maybe especially pray for them. Pray for your leaders. The New Testament summons us. Why? Because they are of your political persuasion? Nope. Because you might get richer if they rule? Nope. Why, Paul? Because, what, what did he just say? God desires all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So yes, America needs much prayer this new year. We have the divine command for it. Well, are, you, are you suggesting, Dwight, by this theocracy, democracy, uh, a contrast that God has not blessed America? Are you kidding? He has blessed this land. I carry this sentence around in my Bible. Everywhere I go, so that I remember how blessed this land is. A century ago, these words were written. The Lord has done more for the United States than for any other country upon which the sun shines. This is a blessed land, ladies and gentlemen. This is a blessed country. Why is he blessed the land? Because we are great and noble people? Hardly. He has blessed the land, according to Paul, let me quote Paul again, because God desires all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, look, this is, my, this is my humble conviction. I believe God raised America up to be a bulwark and a base for his end-time movement to save the entire planet, if he can. That's my, that's my conviction. Hey, listen, God, all the time in sacred history, God uses nations, doesn't he? He moves nations to fulfill his divine purpose, his divine agenda. I mean, you want to talk about the Chaldeans? The Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, what does God do? He brings this pagan, rank pagan king in to save a remnant before it's too late, to halt the meltdown of Judah and Jerusalem. Get in there quick or I'm going to lose the whole, the whole shebang. He uses Persian and 
a conqueror named Cyrus, decades later, to return his people back to their sacred land. He uses the Roman Empire and Caesar Augustus to get the mother of the Messiah to Bethlehem where Jesus needs to be born. He seizes this Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, as the perfect time for the gospel to flourish as it spreads to the then known world. No, 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 no. God often co-ops pagan and secular governments in order to advance the kingdom of heaven on earth. I believe that's why he chose this democratic base here in the United States that defends the right to religious conviction and religious practice and religious freedom. God bless America, we sing. Amen. Bless this land, please. What are you saying, Dwight? What kind of praying should we pray for these lands? And by the way, forget America now. Let's talk about where you're from. What kind of prayer should we be praying for the leaders back in our homelands or this homeland that you're living in right now? That, that, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? <laughs> that would be a good prayer. Why not? That, that, oh, God, that you would continue to bless our homeland? But of course. That you would grant both wisdom and guidance to our political leaders so that they might lead us according to your will? Why not? I remind you, if God could use a volatile, temperamental, pagan ruler like Nebuchadnezzar, there is not a despot, tyrant, dictator, or duly elected by democratic processes leader on the planet that God cannot use to achieve his purposes on earth. Pray for them. Pray for them all. So if I were a citizen of China, I'd be praying for the leaders of China. If I were a citizen of Cuba, I'd be praying for the leaders of Cuba. How about Venezuela right now? I'd be praying for the leaders of Venezuela. How about Uganda right now? <clears throat> I'd be praying for the leaders of Uganda. How about India right now? I'd be praying for the leaders. If I'm, if I'm from India, if I'm from Australia, you bet. If I'm from America, I'm praying for the leaders of my homeland. Of course. By the way, don't forget. Once in a while, isn't this true? Once in a while, God has actually converted and saved pagan rulers because of the prayers and the influence of a believer. Didn't it happen? Didn't Nebuchadnezzar get saved? Did Darius get saved? All because of the influence of Daniel. How about Xerxes? Queen Esther? How about almost persuaded King Agrippa? Who was working on him? The Apostle Paul. Yeah. You say, oh, but Dwight, come on, come on, in America. We remind you. We don't have pagan rulers. We have Christian rulers. Oh, really? Of course we do. You're right. But like Billy Sunday used to say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. And when the elections come around, suddenly everybody's in church again. No, let's, let's, you're right. You're right. We, we agree. We do have many fine leaders who are Christians, who are Jews, who are Muslims, who are atheists. So, for these leaders, what should we pray this new year? Over the holiday, I spent some time reading several books, but this book in particular, Glenn Harold Stassen's new book, A Thicker Jesus, Incarnational Discipleship in a Secular Age. Provocative book. Uh, Stassen is professor of Christian ethics at Fuller Theological Seminary. In the book, he examines some 20th century reli uh, religious leaders. You got Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you got Martin Luther King Jr., and you have a French Huguenot pastor named Andre Trocmé, who pastored in La Chabon, France, 
during World War II and helped his village of 2,500 hide approximately 3,500 Jews, rescuing them from being deported to German concentration camps in Poland. I had never heard of him before, but I'm reading his writings now. Stassen's quoting him. Andrei Trochme preached and wrote, and one of the lines he wrote has got me to, and you know the word I like to use, has got me to brooding over this fine line of separation between church and state. Let me run it by you. I'll put Stassen's words on the screen, and he'll, he'll work into uh, Trochme. Stassen writing, the call for repentance from entanglement in loyalties and ideologies that are unfaithful to the lordship of Christ could not be clearer throughout Trochme's writings in life. This French Huguenot pastor. His loyalty to God in every dimension of life, combined with his thick interpretation of the way of Jesus, naturally led him to call for repentance from seduction by nationalism, financial greed, or militaristic hate. He, Trochme, wrote that Christians hesitate to put Jesus' love command into practice because, and these are Trochme's words, because they participate in the power struggle. Their ethic is one of realism. It is one of compromise with honors, power, money, and war, and they cannot free themselves from it. Now, last line. The church, he taught, must never give its allegiance to the state, even if the state protects it, but must constantly call the state to a more perfect justice. And that's what caught my attention. Constantly calling the state to a more perfect judgment, uh, justice. I know there's a line of demarcation, but maybe we've kept it too far. I'm thinking about my nation. I'm talking about my church. You think about your church, your nation. Perhaps Andre Trochme is right. The church must constantly call the state to a more perfect justice rather than remaining disengaged and disinterested. Case in point, the politically explosive issue that the Connecticut school Christmas massacre has re-exposed us to, gun violence and gun control in this nation. Now, look, I don't want to get into this. God didn't raise up the church to join the NRA or to oppose the NRA. I understand that. You don't need to remind me. But could it be that if my people who are called by my name began to pray louder and pray longer, could it be that morality could be given a voice in a society that is crazed with gun violence on our movie screens and gun violence in our video games and gun violence in our music and gun violence in our culture? Could it be that praying for our political leaders and praying for the American public, could it be that intercessory praying could actually affect a political sea change? Could it be that the praying of God's people could affect a sea change just as it did in Babylon with Daniel's praying. The empire was changed, impacted. One prayer. The problem is not a dearth of leaders and citizens with Judeo-Christian values. The problem is they're living up to those moral values. We got values coming out our ears. So what if we prayed for their courage, our leaders' courage and conviction to live up to the values they already have? I'm just thinking out loud with you. 
Could it be that the time for remaining sequestered, and there's been a lot of talk about sequester this, sequester that, but could it be that the time for being sequestered from public life and public issues has long passed us, and that the people of God need to pray longer and pray louder so that their prayers might be heard in a land that desperately needs he healing. Ladies and gentlemen, America is in huge trouble this first Sabbath of the new year. If my people, let's read that verse again. If my people, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, God speaking, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, quid pro quo, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. For human actions. Come on, God, why are you so complicated? Why not just give us one action? Why didn't God just say, if my people pray, I will heal the land? Why do you, why do you string out four human actions? You know why? You take a look at those actions. We'll humble themselves, we'll pray, we'll seek my face, we'll turn from their wicked ways. Every one of those actions is a recasting of the definition of prayer. All four are definitions of prayer. Maybe the fact that there are four definitions in a row is God's point. And that the kind of praying he's calling for is full-barreled, full-throated kind of praying. The epitome of intensity for human actions. Humble yourselves. That's a mental state of mind. Pray. That's a physical posture. Seek my face. Relational hunger for God. God says, I, I, don't just keep bringing me these... these, these Quick list, prayer lists. Come to prayer, thirsting for me. Come for me. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face, and forsake your wicked ways. Could it be that the point that these four actions have been intentionally linked together, God is making, God is making a teaching we need for our New Year praying. I'll put it on the screen for you. Could it be that these four actions are the epitome of intensity so that God is trying to teach us the intensity of our prayers must reflect the immensity of our petitions? I want to leave that sentence up. We don't have a study guide today, but if we had one, we'd put those two words in the blank. Could this be what God is teaching? The intensity of our prayers must reflect the immensity of our petitions. In other words, the more immense my petition, the more intense must become my praying. Immensity, the immensity compels the intensity. We are facing the greatest challenge in the history of this nation, let alone the planet, but this nation. Immensity compels intensity. We can't just blow this off, ladies and gentlemen. We can't just blow this off. Well, I'll pray someday. No, intensity is compelled by the immensity of the American need. Pray louder. Pray longer. Otherwise, God could say, hey, look, it. you pray, then I heal. Instead, he recasts prayer in four different restatements and says, pray this way. When I shut up the heaven, look at verse 13. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, the day comes and the heavens are shut up. And by the way, if you want that to be physical rain, let it be physical rain. I just read this last week. Guess what? That because of the withering drought from last summer, we are going to need eight feet of snow this winter to pull out of that drought. Some are saying up to 150 inches 
We need rain. And we're not getting it, not even this winter. You want to talk about physical rain? Let it be physical rain. You want to talk about spiritual rain? Has there been a greater dearth of Holy Spirit outpouring in the American church than right now? You want to make it spiritual rain? Pray for spiritual rain. Look at verse 13. When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. God says if the day comes that a plague or a pestilence devours this land. And if you want that to be natural calamity, then let it be natural calamity. We have suffered the most natural, catastrophic disasters last year, more last year than any previous year in history. You want it to be natural? Let it be natural. You want it to be moral catastrophe? Let it be moral. The catastrophe of gun violence, the catastrophe of sexual violence, the catastrophe of racial violence. When that day comes, God says, I am calling you who are called by my name to call upon me as never before. Pray longer. Pray louder. Not, by the way, because God gets some sort of sadistic delight out of seeing us grovel on the ground and beg for something. No. Every dad who has children called by his own name knows that unless there is an intensity in the child's request, Daddy, I gotta have this toy, I gotta have this toy, I gotta have this toy. If there's no intensity in it, that request will last as long as the toys are a supplement to the newspaper, and then it's gone, and then it's the new toy. Praying loud and praying longer is not about God's intensity, it's about my intensity. Put it on the screen again, the intensity of your prayers must, this is what God is saying, the intensity of your prayers must reflect the immensity of your petitions. Verse 13, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Because what if, ladies and gentlemen, what if for God to act now in the stream of history, it will take this kind of intensity for him to move? What if he can only be released by that intensity? Because the new Toys R Us our, our supplement comes, oh, I got it, this is, this is really what I need. What if these four actions are the epitome of intensity. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, state of mind, will pray, posture of intercessory prayer, will seek my face, relational thirsting and hungry for God. And action number four, will turn from their wicked ways. Oh God, did you have to put the fourth one in? Only three, and we're happy. Why the fourth? Because America cannot plead for healing for our land, all the while we cling to Hollywood's gratuitous violence and Xbox's unconscionable killing, all in the name of entertaining the American public, young or old. We can't hang on to that. How could God possibly heal America while we cling to our private demons that are destroying us? So here's the deal. Listen up. Quit buying those tickets. Every penny you invest is going to perpetrate and perpetuate what we're facing. Quit renting those videos or DVDs. Quit playing those games. Give it up. Turn. Turn from your wicked ways. 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, only then can I, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Prayer for the new year, there it is. Heal our land. The immensity of our need as a people, the immensity of our need as a, as a nation must compel the intensity of our prayers because, and I say this at the risk of being misunderstood, I want to end with this. Without the praying, listen, without the praying of my people who are called by my name, America plunges into national ruin. I believe, I believe that we are here today with a semblance of order and peace because God has friends in this nation who are pleading with him. Not to save the government. The government doesn't need salvation. It can't be saved. Not to save the institutions, but save America, God, one-on-one, -on -one, one by one. Save America, please. I believe that if that praying withers up, the curtains fall for the last time on this nation. If my people were called by my name. Hey, look. At the risk of offending others who are watching and listening right now. What this nation needs is not saving, it needs healing. And there is only one being in the universe that can heal us. With all due respect to the religions of the land, the only being who can heal us is the Lord of Calvary. The scripture is clear by his wounds, we are healed. Only Christ of the cross can heal this land. Desire of ages, and leave this with you, desire of ages, compelling notion of universal healing that flows from the cross. Let me put these words on the screen for you. This is page 660 if you want to check it out. To the death of Christ, we in America, we owe even this earthly life. The bread we eat is the purchase of his broken body. The water we drink is bought by his spilled blood. Never one saint or sinner. Now, no, please, saint or sinner. That could read believer or pagan. It doesn't matter. Never one eats his daily food, but he is nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. The cross of Calvary is stamped on every loaf. It is reflected in every water spring. The family board becomes the table. The family supper table becomes the table of the Lord and every meal a sacrament. Isn't that something? Every stream of water Every American loaf of bread is stamped with the cross of Calvary. We owe it all. The nation owes it all to the Lord of the cross. Only one can heal us. To the death of Christ, America owes even this earthly life. It matters not believer or pagan. It does not matter. Only one can heal us. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we must pray and pray and pray. Oh, God, please heal this land, our land. Wherever your homeland is, oh, God, heal our land. It doesn't seem right to come to an end of, of a teaching and a prayer like this without gathering to pray. 
So I'd like to invite you not to do it here while you're here. The North American Division is launching 10 days of prayer for this continent beginning on Wednesday night. I'd like to invite you to come to Pioneer at 7 o'clock. The lights will be on. It will be nice and toasty warm here, and I'll be here. I'd like to invite you to come to this sanctuary right here at 7 o'clock Wednesday night. You're not going to have a sermon. We're not going to have a Bible teaching. We're going to pray. 30 minutes of prayer, pray. Could you push away from whatever you're doing Wednesday night? And let's join together and pray, God, heal. Please, heal our land. I'll be here Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here. I hope you'll come and join us. Would you take out your Connect card, please, as we end our worship together today? First card of the new year. It's in your worship bulletin. Guess this little card. We call it the Connect card. It is in your worship bulletin right now. Pull it out. The front side of the card that says Connect card on it is a little bit of uh, demographic information. If you'd be so kind as to fill that out, it, it, it would be a blessing to us. You put in only as, as much as you're comfortable with, so that, that's the deal. We're not here trying to scoop some information from you, but it would be helpful for us. Take a moment to fill that out. But, but here's, here's really what counts. is it, on the other side of the car. We call this the next step side of the card. And those of you who are watching online right now, you go to our website, which you're already on if you're live streaming, you'll see the card there. And you can respond right there, wherever you are. Because it's not enough to come to an end of a teaching like this and not take a next step. So here are two suggested next steps. What do you think about this? Could you put a check mark on this one? Because the immensity of our need compels the intensity of our prayers, I wish to join you, Pastor, in this New Year prayer, Heal Our Land. I imagine most everybody could put a little check mark there before we go home today. I wish you would. Just say, hey, Dwight, listen, I'll, I'll join you in this pray. Pray louder. Pray longer. That's what the second box is about. This new year, I want to pray louder and pray longer on behalf of my homeland. You want to come Wednesday night? Come and join us, 7 o'clock right here. Let's pray together. But whether you come or not, can you put a check mark there? God, I want to pray louder. I want to pray longer on behalf of my homeland. God knows where we are on the edge of eternity. If there ever were a time for his people to band together, my people who are called by my name, this would be it. I want to pray with you before we receive these cards and our morning tithes and offerings. Dear God, you talk to a young Israelite monarch. We overhear that conversation. And we are compelled by just what we've heard in these few moments. We're compelled to pray for our land. We're not asking you to save the government. We're not asking you to embrace a political party. We're not asking you to resurrect an institution. What we're asking, dear Father, is that one by one and one on one save and heal our land. And oh God, if you need us to be that one on one in the course of this new year, please use us any way you wish. We want to help you heal this land. It can only be healed by one by whose wounds we are all healed. And so may the Lord Jesus, through his friends in this nation, effect a sea change, a moral sea change that could heal 
this country. We give you our commitments. We bring to you our morning tithes and offerings. Take it all and use it for your glory this brand new year. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.